Brian Nichols, you're a great man with some great ideas, a great podcast. Do you see why he's my favorite libertarian people? <laughs> yes. He's full of common sense and wisdom. Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. Today I'm joined by easily one of the best of the best, Matt Kitty. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. Hey, Brian, it's good to be with you. By the way, let me take a step back and say I love what you're doing. I love the conversational style, and it's a combination of good fun and serious ideas. I love the fact that your show's doing what it does, and, and this is how we win the future. The Brian Nichols Show is the fastest-growing liberty podcast that brings together people from all means of political thought as we seek to have meaningful conversations about the issues you care about. There's so many things that we can do to make America freer and the world better and safer and more peaceful. Everybody has the responsibility of trying to help to do that. You know, what you're doing with your podcast is a perfect example of, you know, you're doing this as a labor of love and for the cause, and that is exactly what we have to have. At The Brian Nichols Show, our goal is to leave the audience educated, enlightened, and informed. And now your host, Brian Nichols. Oh, you guys are in store for a treat this week. Easily one of my favorite conversations I've had here on The Brian Nichols Show. You all should know him, especially if you are a liberty-loving individual. Whether you're a libertarian, a liberty republican, a conservatarian, I don't care what you identify as, so long as you embrace and love the concepts of liberty, just like this guy does. And this is Congressman Thomas Massey. It was great to have him on the show today to discuss a variety of things ranging from his entry into politics. Uh, we discussed the Trump impeachment and uh, we actually discussed the, the recent past uh, continued resolution, which had a backdoor sneaking in of the Patriot Act. And then we finished up discussing the infamous Precious. So I don't want to keep you guys from today's episode. It's a great conversation. As always, please share with family and friends. But without further ado, on to the show. Congressman Thomas Massey here on The Brian Nichols Show. Hey, thanks for having me on, Brian. Absolutely. Congressman, you've been very busy today because today over in uh, in D.C., which is otherwise known as the swamp up here in uh, in the Northeast, uh, you guys ended up voting on the continuing resolution, which we'll dig into a little bit more because it was absolutely insane. But thankfully, we got somebody like you there fighting the good fight. So um, for anybody who is living under a rock, could you maybe do a little quick introduction, Congressman? Um, like, really, who are you and, and what was your liberty uh, story to get you to where you are today? Oh, okay. I'll try and give you the quick version. I grew up in Kentucky. Um, I was an inventor as a kid. I built robot arms for science fairs. Uh, I was kind of geeky, and uh, I wanted to go to MIT, so I ended up going to the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. I got a degree in electrical engineering, degree in mechanical engineering, started a company while I was there, raised venture capital, did that for 10 years. Um, sold my ownership in the company, moved back to Kentucky, and uh, really hadn't been paying much attention to politics, but I started reading the local paper, and I noticed that the local politicians were trying to raise our taxes, zone our property, uh, force people who didn't need a, a sewer system because they had septic tanks that worked fine, force them to sign up for something they didn't need using eminent domain, like lots of sort of ugly things to libertarians or to just the, the people who love freedom. <laughs> yeah. So I started writing letters to the editor. Okay. Uh, oh, by the way, I was building a house off the grid at the time. This was like 2003 to 2010. Um, 
And I, I wrote some letters to the editor in 2007, I think. This was before there was something called the Tea Party. And what surprised me is my neighbors cared about the same things that I cared about. And so I rallied folks to go to, like, the local town hall meetings and stare down the politicians. And we stopped some, some taxes from passing. We stopped the planning board from becoming a zoning board. They were going to zone everybody's property and tell you what you could and couldn't do with it. Um, really, it was, it was tough, a tough slog at the local level. But in any case, um, I realized that the person who appointed all these people to the boards that we were fighting against and trying to keep them from raising our taxes was the county executive. And people encouraged me to run for that position. I did. I got in there. Um, I went after waste, fraud, and abuse. I found mostly a lot of waste, and this was in county government, and um, eliminated that, eliminated enough to pay my salary three times over in county government. <laughs> and um, then, you know, there are 3,000 – let's see, is that right? Yeah, 3,000 counties in the United States. So I just had a small sliver of government there, but I thought, gee, if there's this much waste, fraud, and abuse in one of 3,000 counties, there's got to be so much more at the federal level. And our congressman decided he wasn't going to run again. I entered a seven-way primary. It was a knockdown, drag-out uh, primary, but I got the endorsement of Ron Paul, Rand Paul, Mike Lee, Justin Amash. And fought my way through that with a lot of help and support from people that love liberty. Ended up here in Congress in 2012. And ever since then, I've been popping the fuses here and blowing the circuit breakers. <laughs> um, I, say it, I say it that way because, uh, unfortunately, a lot of times the established way of things prevails. But you've got to make it hard for them to do what they're trying to do. Otherwise, they'll do more of it. Oh, for sure. And so I actually had uh, your your um, your colleague, Congressman Amash, on my show back this past uh, past summer. And actually, it was right before uh, he decided to, quote unquote, declare his independence. So being a liberty Republican in an era of Trump is is obviously very difficult. And that's part of the reason that Congressman Amash has decided to you know disassociate with the GOP. What's life like for you as you know one of those few left liberty Republicans in Congress? Actually, I think it's easier to be a liberty Republican under Trump than it was under Obama uh, in many ways. Some days you measure progress in Washington, D.C. by the depth of the crater that you can create. <laughs> and by that measure, Trump's been wildly successful <laughs> at the, uh, you know, in, in taking on the deep state. A, a lot of these people that uh, you know, government officials that people thought walked on water. We've we found out that they're self-interested um, folks who have their own agendas and really don't like the notion of elected government. I'm talking about folks like James Comey, um, and there's a whole list. And those folks are out of government now. They were they weren't noble people. Peter Strzok, not a noble person, um, and so you know. In some measure, we've we've made a lot of progress um, in the executive branch. Now, it's really not my job to support or oppose a president. Okay, people, pro-Trump folks and anti-Trump folks, 
are always telling me support the president, oppose the president, resist, comply. You know, I'm like, I'm a legislator. My job is to look at policy, not uh, who's in the White House. Right. And if it's good policy, I support it. If it's bad policy, I don't. Now, that's become tougher because the Democrats have started an impeachment process here. So as so whereas it was never my job to support or oppose a president, now, now you're being forced to. the Democrats are now the Democrats are forcing people to to do that. Right. So um, that's that's one of the tough things. I think it's a great distraction. Just as an example, Brian, uh, today there, in fact, right now there's an impeachment interview going on in the Intel Committee. Yet. They just extended the Patriot Act inside of the continuing resolution today here in Congress. That's wild. While everybody was paying attention to the impeachment. So this is a frustrating thing for me. There were issues like the Patriot Act, like the you know, 702 FISA um, court and um, warrants that were going on that we were making progress on that – that really aren't because everybody's distracted. No, mm-hmm. the positive thing, the positive thing to all these weapons of mass distraction, that's what I call the impeachment or <laughs> the Mueller report, weapons of mass distraction, is that I haven't heard a single Democrat in the House of Representatives talk about a red flag law in the last four to six weeks. Like they've totally lost their minds, and they can't focus on all the anti-liberty stuff they were going to do. And so we've we've got a little reprieve here from those things. So my show obviously is reaching a lot more, I'd say, you know, the, the small L or even in many cases, big L libertarians. Right. And I think there's been a, a pretty big split in the, the larger libertarian circles because. A lot of libertarian folks look at Trump as, you know, kind of this guy with a hammer just going through the China shop and just smashing everything in, in his way, whereas others are, are looking at him as, you know, truly a, a threat to our, our liberty. And I think it's it's been a, a really hard, uh, I mean, to say it, it's hard to get libertarians to, to agree on anything is, is, you know, an understatement of the year, but to, to really look and say, you know, as somebody who's in the fray of things, being yourself, Congressman, what would you say to libertarians to, to, you know, kind of give them a little bit more insight that you're experiencing behind the scenes in terms of Trump's, uh, you know, either his his good feelings or his bad feelings towards the concept of liberty? Again, I don't I don't want to support or oppose the person in the White House. But if we're going to try to produce a scorecard, let's let's put in one of the columns number of wars started. OK, and this is the first president in a long time who hasn't started a war in um, since he's been in office. And I think those are his instincts. I mean, sometimes it is hard to divine because a lot of times he's messing with the liberals, but uh, <laughs> sometimes it is hard to divine what he means in his tweets. But at the end of the day, we aren't in another war. And, uh, you know, I oppose the president both of the times that we attacked Syria Okay, but if you go back and look at what was the result of those attacks, fortunately, uh, you know, in one case they they bombed a warehouse, an empty warehouse. In another case, they bombed an airfield, but called ahead and said, "Hey, we're going to bomb the airfield." Um, and and then another time, another really defining moment was 
when the Iranians took down a drone, a U.S. drone, that was supposedly not in their airspace, which I have no reason to doubt that, that, uh, that our story wasn't correct. But the president didn't reciprocate. He could have uh, retaliated. And he chose not to, and the reason he gave is that they, they estimated there would be like two or 300 casualties, and he said it's not worth a drone to kill mm-hmm. two or 300 people. That's the first time I've ever really heard a president say that. <laughs> yeah. And I'm talking, you know, I'm not, I don't think that Obama or Bush would have had the restraint in the face of um, all of the advisors who were there. So let's take a a little bit of a 180, and we obviously touched on it briefly discussing the impeachment, right? So that's kind of what everybody is talking about now. It's actually interesting because um, I'm from upstate New York, and Elise Stefanik was my home congresswoman. Um, So to see my home district kind of thrust into the news cycle all of a sudden with her opponent, Tedra Cobb, you know, raising almost a million dollars after um, the initial beginning of the impeachment inquiries, it was like, huh, this this is kind of interesting to see this all taking place up in New York 21. So I guess, you know, obviously, Congressman, you, if it does go to the house for a vote you're going to have to you know cast your your vote one way or another and you know I, your your colleague congressman amash seems like he's on the opposite side of the aisle in terms of supporting impeachment maybe kind of give some insight what what are some of us you know layman's missing um that you've kind of been able to, to witness in terms of how you're approaching this impeachment uh, proceeding <laughs> well first of all the deep state is real and if you're if the people listening to this podcast have a problem with me saying that I apologize. You're probably not going to get what I'm about to say next, (laughs) which is um, there's a permanent government that, uh, and, and inside the skiff, by the way, I'm on the oversight committee. So I was down there for the witness tryouts. We call them where Adam Schiff brought in people he thought would support his case. And the ones he, the ones that did well, He's, he's pulling them out in the public, and ones who didn't, he's kind of put them over on the sidelines. But as I sat there in this gift listening to people who were less on their guard than they are now out in the public, I realized that these folks who are in the government who aren't elected, they got appointed somewhere way back or just moved their way up through the bureaucracy. They consider themselves to be very patriotic. They're very uh, – they're dedicated to the mission, but they are also bound and determined not to let not to let elected officials <laughs> knock them off their mission. <laughs> like they believe they set foreign policy, and the currency with which they control other countries is foreign aid, is foreign military assistance, and they're more than anything. Those people are upset that President Trump dared to slow down or interrupt um, what they were doing and the money that they were distributing. And, uh, you know, I believe that countries are sovereign. We shouldn't be over there trying to influence their elections. Obviously, that's what we're doing. Um, And we're trying to influence all of their policies and trying to get their governments to do things and, and the currency that the the State Department and the other actors use is your tax dollars. Right. So, I don't know. That's a that's one of the things that I've seen from sitting through these depositions and being just a few feet away from the people who are testifying. 
Now, you mentioned an important part there. They use your tax dollars, right? Um, and, and obviously, I'm speaking to you today on the 19th, where they just literally passed the continuing resolution that actually snuck in a continuation of the Patriot Act. So let's, you know, a lot of people, I think, are ignorant of just the political process. So c- could you kind of just outline how did this happen? How, how did we get to a point where we're, we're yeah. passing continuing resolution after continuing resolution, and yet we're, we're still able to have these establishment politicians sneak in, you know, things like the Patriot Act in a renewal process completely, you know, through the, yeah. the, 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 the dark of night, and yet it's going to impact millions and millions of Americans, and it's all done behind the scenes. How does that all happen? Well, I've been here almost seven years now. And I've seen this play call about four of the seven years that I've been here, what they're doing right now. Like they're not very original. They just do the same thing over and over. And my colleagues act like they get fooled all the time over and over or something. But one, here's the play call they're running this year. They, they are um, kicking the can down the road just a few weeks at a time until they get the can just a few days before Christmas. And I have been in closed meetings with the GOP conference when John Boehner walks in. It's the, it's the day before we go on Christmas vacation. He, the CR has been punted several times, and he walks in. He says, we've got an omnibus, and we're going to vote on it here in about an hour. And if this thing passes, if you all vote for it, you can go home for Christmas and be with your family. But if it doesn't pass, you're going to be here with Nancy Pelosi and – um, you know Chuck Schumer or Harry Reid. I can't remember who it was at the time. <laughs> what a Christmas person that and, would be. <laughs> and that's who you're going to. Yeah, and that's who you're going to spend your Christmas with. <laughs> and the room erupts in a chant where people start saying, "Vote, vote, 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 vote!" And they literally, it's like a locker room, and they leave the conference room chanting "vote" and go up there and vote for whatever's in front of them. Because they want to go home and be with their families. That's the play call they're running this year. The CR that they just passed today goes into until December 20th. Okay. Now, we're supposed to go on, on holiday break like a week before that. <laughs> they're going to have some Jeez. real leverage if we get to December 20th and people are missing their family Christmas parties and stuff. So that's one thing they're doing. It's messed up, and I don't care whether you're a Republican, a Democrat, an Independent, or a Libertarian. You should know that that's messed up. Here's the other thing that they did today. A, a funding bill, they put them all together. There should be 12 separate appropriations bills, but they've, they've come to favor this strategy where they put it all together. So if it doesn't pass, you can't – it's just – it would be unforgivable for you not to vote to fund the whole government, right? <laughs> so there's, right, there's tremendous pressure. Because you're not incrementally voting for this or that, you're it, you're voting for all of government in one vote. They've realized they can attach some nasty stuff to that. Um, a year or two ago, what they attached was called fixed nicks. It was an expansion of the broken background check system without fixing the you know you know for gun purchases federal background check system. Now they they threw that into an omnibus or a CR. Well, this today. They threw in a, a, an extension of the Patriot Act into the omnibus. So, again, whether you're Republican, Democrat, big L libertarian, small L libertarian, you should understand this is a horrible way to do legislation. But they're using – what they're doing is they're giving all the Democrats who 
when Republicans were in the majority, the Democrats opposed, for the most of them, opposed the Patriot Act. But now, today, they gave them all cover. They, they stuck the Patriot Act in the continuing resolution so the Democrats uh, we could go home and say, well, I had to vote for it. Now, here's another thing they do, Brian, another messed up process. And I know we're not talking about ideology here, which may upset some of the libertarians <laughs> that listen to your show. But if they've got blood coursing through their veins, if they can fog a mirror, this should upset them, regardless of what their ideology is. When, when Pelosi was speaker before I got here, she famously said, you've got to vote for this Obamacare to see what's in it. Okay, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but not as badly as Adam Schiff reading a transcript of the president. She said, you know, vote for it to see what's in it. Well, when Republicans took over, thanks to the Tea Party in 2010, they, they demanded, we don't ever want to be in that position again. Give us three days to read a bill. So the Republicans had adopted a House rule that says everybody will have three days to read the bill. Well, nobody defined what a day is. Now, you and I think a day has 24 hours, but what they decided was that um, if you introduce the bill at 11.50 p.m., on a Tuesday, then Tuesday counts as one day, oh, even geez. because the bill touched it by 10 minutes. And then you would uh, have Wednesday to look at the bill. But guess what? The, the, the reporters can't get that printed in your hometown newspaper before Thursday morning, which is when you're going to vote on it. Right. And, of course, Thursday morning counts as a whole 24-hour day. So they totally bastardized this three-day rule. It became like a 30-hour rule. And that was frustrating to us and to some Democrats. So Nancy Pelosi takes the gavel again. They get the majority back. Some of the more um, prominent reformers and who newcomers to the party, the Democratic Party, said, you know what? We're better than Republicans. Let's make it a 72-hour rule. So now we have an honest-to-goodness 72-hour rule. You, 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 the speaker has to give you 72 hours to read a bill and your constituents to consider the bill before you vote on it. Well, guess what? This bill came out less than 24 hours before we had to vote on it today. How did they get away with that? Because the speaker comes to the floor. The, the Rules Committee writes an amendment to the rule just for one bill and says we're going to suspend all points of order. Now, one of those points of order would be, hey, uh, I object. You didn't give us 72 hours to read this bill. You can't even make that objection because – there's a, they amended the rules today. Now, how do they amend the rules without a majority voting for it? Well, a majority did vote for it. It turns out that even though you got all these great rules to protect the rank-and-file members, when the speaker tells rank-and-file members of his or her own party, vote to suspend this rule that protects yourself, they dutifully do it. Every single Democrat, 230 voted, voted to suspend the 72-hour rule today so that Pelosi could shove this down of the American public's throats. And that's what happened. Uh, just like the just, just like again, the founders wanted, right? Yeah, this, <laughs> I'm sure this is what the founders imagined, not. <laughs> well, how about this? Because I know we're getting close to uh, wrapping up here with your, your time schedule. Mm -hmm. So I think it sounds like a lot of these, um, you know, these more establishment folks, they've gotten corrupted by the precious. And I, I think it's a good way to end the show is, <clears throat> Congressman Massey, give us the story. What is the precious that you've, you've spoken about uh, many a time? So I noticed there's this thing. So the analogy here is to Lord of the Rings and the Hobbits. 
um, you know, for those who don't know about the, the series of books and movies who are living in a cave with Gollum, I guess, um, the ring is something that if a man put it on, it would corrupt him almost instantly. And if a hobbit put it on, it took a while to corrupt him. But eventually everybody fell power to this ring or fell fell prey to this ring because of the power it gave them. I noticed that this congressional pin that every congressman wears up here, it they feel intoxicated by the power it conveys on them when they wear the pin. When you're walking down the hallway, people won't make eye contact with you because they know you're a congressman, even if they don't recognize you. When you get in an elevator, nobody speaks. Um, when, you, when you're approaching a police officer, a Capitol Hill police officer moves aside and lets you through. You walk around the metal detector. You don't walk through the metal detector. Oh, unless you're not wearing Precious and the cop doesn't recognize you, then you better have Precious in your pocket. Pull Precious out, which is your pin, not the not a ring, <laughs> and show it to them, and then all is good. And so what I've noticed is when I wear the pin, it it starts to get to you. You, you notice it. And so I try not to wear it more than I have to. Uh, every time I come to Mordor, though, I have to put the precious on, um, you know, to get through security. And there, there are even times like when I wake up on Monday morning to come to D.C. and I have to get in a car and go to the airport, I try not to turn the lights on in the bedroom to, to wake, you know, I don't want to wake up my wife if I don't have to, if she doesn't have to get up. And so I find myself fumbling around looking for precious in the dark like Gollum, and I ask my wife, have you seen Precious? And she's like, I think it's on the nightstand over there. Anyways, that's the that's the whole Precious thing. And it um, and if somebody hasn't seen Lord of the Rings or read The Hobbit, boy, they're going to think I'm just absolutely crazy when I talk about that. But <laughs> Well, well uh, no, not at all, Congressman. I mean, it, honestly, that that's a great analogy because it, it speaks to – Honestly, what the power does to people when they get to Washington, they can come in with the best of intentions, and then, you know, just a few short months later, they they seem like completely different people. And thankfully, we got folks like you in office who uh, you you've kept the precious off, and and you've been able to just still maintain to be yourself to be one of the most principled good guys out there. So we need more more folks like you, and, and, and you know, folks like Congressman Amash and, and Mike Lee and Rand Paul in office. And again, thank you so much for all you're doing. Uh, and, and obviously, you know, we're we're behind you guys 100% of the way for all that you've been doing behind the scenes to uh, to help promote message of liberty so thank you so much for that hey thank you brian thanks for having me on your podcast i look forward to coming back on sometime um thanks for getting the message out there and using this format uh really appreciate it and uh please stop by and see me in dc sometime absolutely sir well listen i appreciate the time and we'll definitely have you on again in the near future all righty and that's going to do it, folks, for my conversation with Congressman Thomas Massey. I, I'm so thankful to have Congressman Massey take some time out of his very, very, very busy schedule to join the Brian Nichols Show. He's one of the good guys out there, folks. So please do what you can to support Congressman Massey. Obviously, head over to his social media. Uh, follow him over on Twitter. He's always a lot of fun over on Twitter. Uh, and I'll be sure to include all the links to uh, Congressman Massey's social media in the show notes. Um, but hey, folks, if you enjoyed today's episode, obviously, first and foremost, please share today's episode with family and friends. That's how we reach new people, and that's how we hopefully bring more people into the liberty movement and ch- change some hearts and minds, honestly. Um, and if you guys want to go ahead and interact with me over on social media, follow me on Twitter at B Nichols Liberty and over on Facebook also at B Nichols Liberty. And hey, folks, if you want to uh, really be a, a great supporting listener here of the Brian Nichols Show, uh, two things. Number one, you can either go ahead and become a supporter over on Patreon, or you can go ahead and uh, do a one-time PayPal donation, five bucks, ten bucks, fifteen bucks. Guys, it all goes back into the show. Um, so if you enjoy the content you're getting here at the Brian Nichols Show, you find the conversations that we're having, like we did today with. Congressman Massey to be valuable, uh, then please, if you can financially support, 
awesome. It, I, I really do genuinely appreciate it. But if you can't do that, you know, just again, share with family and friends. Uh, now, also one thing to look forward to for next week is uh, we're going to be having uh, the, the follow-up conversation with Max Goker from AIER discussing uh, Andrew Yang's uh, economic policies. So be sure if you know some friends there in the Yang gang to uh, to shoot that episode their way so they can go ahead and get a good listen. Uh, and Max and I, I think we, we both agree at the end of the conversation uh, that we love Andrew Yang as a person. We think he's a you know, genuinely nice, nice guy, um, but his policies are all out of whack and completely out of line, uh, not only with liberty, but also with reality. Uh, so anyways, folks, hopefully you enjoyed today's episode of The Brian Nichols Show. Uh, and last thing, last thing, I swear, uh, if you could do me a favor, head over to iTunes, uh, or I guess it's Apple Podcasts now, and just give a, a quick review. And if you could also a rating, five stars, preferably would be nice. It's that organic reach that brings more people to The Brian Nichols Show. So the more ratings we have, the more reviews we have, the higher up in the rankings we go. And for all of those who've already gone out of their way to, uh, to do a, a rating and review, thank you. I, I read them all, and it really does mean a lot to, uh, to have a great audience like I have uh, with you guys. So guys, thank you so much for joining us here on The Brian Nichols Show, signing off for Congressman Thomas Massey. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com.